This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Changers Experience with myself, Adam Strong. And first of all, I must apologize for my croaky voice. It is what we call hay fever season. So unfortunately, I'm suffering from hay fever problems. But anyway, it doesn't curve my enthusiasm and energy. And today we have an amazing guest here in, well, my good friend, Adam Cox's studio. Now, if you don't know who Adam Cox is, we actually had Adam here on the podcast, of course. And we've collaborated on on a various different levels, including he was to the collaboration. He was part of the Game Changers Summit. We've done some various other podcasts, and we're just really good friends. And also, you know, the great thing about Adam is that number one, he's a, a business owner, he's a serial entrepreneur, and uh, has a, an amazing podcast called The Hypnotherapist or The Hypnotist, sorry, and uh, which which actually he gets up to three hundred fifty thousand downloads on a monthly basis. I'm sure that and those figures are increasing all the time. Now, the other thing, what we're going to be talking about today, ladies and gents, we're going to be talking about hypnotic wealth. So we've been talking a little bit about financial freedom. We're going to be talking about money mindset. We're talking about all those fancy topics which holds us back that prevents us from and allowing us to achieve financial freedom. So some of the things that we could be talking about is we're going to be talking about what are some of the self-sabotaging patterns and habits that people use that prevents them from achieving financial financial um, uh, financial freedom? We'll be talking about patterns. We're going to be also talking about with Adam some of the clients that come to him, what he has observed, and how each client is different, and how people need to be kind of like tailor-made and whatever it is. But we could be talking a little bit about how hypnosis can help create those breakthroughs. So uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today, ladies and gents. And uh, really looking forward to today's show. So without further ado, Mr. Adam Cox, over to you. How are you? I'm very well indeed. It's good to see you again. Good to see you as well. Thanks very much for inviting me here. No worries. It's been really good to see you as well. So, um, yeah, by the way, it's interesting because I know we always talk about this, but everyone gets us confused because we have the same haircut. We have the same <laughs> first name, right? We have a similar, well, you have a slightly more masculine physique, you know, but we're all, we've been very good friends for quite some time. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just been, it's been Two a chat. In a pod. We are white middle-aged Old guys called Adam. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, listen, I'm looking forward to today's conversations, Adam. Really, really are. And I know that things have really developed over the last sort of year. And I think it was about, it was probably at least two years ago since you came onto the onto the podcast, which is just crazy just how time flies by, it's right? It's crazy. It's crazy. Because I think I was in Tenerife at the time. Yeah. And I was out there for a Christmas break. And while I was out there, there was the second lockdown. So I just decided to stay out there for three and a half months because my kids didn't need to go to school. And um, that's, uh, I mean, COVID changed a lot of things for a lot of people. True, true. Um, for me, it really changed my hypnosis business. So up to that point, I've been working in Harley Street. And, you know, for those people who don't know Harley Street, it's quite a prestigious street in London. 
the rich and famous, that's where they get their healthcare, including mental health. So, and that was actually my first clinic as a hypnotherapist, you know, and it, it was, it was good because I was diving in at the deep end. Yeah. My attitude was if I'm going to be a hypnotherapist, I want to compete with the very best in hypnotherapy. The best in hypnotherapy were on Harley street. And for a good four years there, I was, you know, on Harley street working with clients, COVID came along and I could, I could see where it was heading. It didn't make sense to have a face-to-face clinic. And now, like almost all of my client sessions are remote. So I launched a podcast, as you said, The Hypnotist, because I knew that the time that I would save from not seeing face-to-face clients temporarily while a transition from a face-to-face therapist to an online therapist would give me the time to experiment with hypnotherapy. Hypnotherapy is one of these industries that a lot of people aren't that innovative. They tend to do, you know, the old traditional ways of doing it. Yeah, there's a lot of people wearing cardigans and doing the same things in the same way, you know, for a long time. So I, I created The Hypnotist for two key reasons. And it was a podcast that was designed to have real therapy that you could actually listen to. So not recordings that were generic, but me doing a client session and then recording the audio of that, still protecting the privacy and the confidentiality of the client so that someone out there in the world might have a similar problem and they could effectively get free therapy. So that that's one of the things. And the second thing is that I wanted a platform for creativity and innovation. So I've created hypnotherapy sessions based on movies like Limitless and Inception. I saw that. Fight Club. Fantastic. And, yeah. And, and for books. So one of my most popular hypnotherapy sessions is actually from one of my favorite books on money called The Richest Man in Babylon by George S. Clayson. And it's a hypnotherapy session where you almost regress into a past life of being in ancient Babylon learning about the secrets of money essentially through a hypnotherapy session so i've always been interested in hypnosis psychology but also financial freedom so hypnotic wealth you kind of mentioned is a fusion of my two passions financial freedom and and how people think and how to change how people think is really what it was all about interesting i wonder how all the other therapists and hypnotherapists on holly street i wonder how they you know, adapted during the COVID times because I think we haven't spoke about because, you know, you, I mean, you're quite innovative because, I mean, you own a media company as well, which has a huge advantage, of course. Mm-hmm. But I guess with most people that you said that are in traditional mindsets, if you like, I guess they, they would have struggled quite a lot. Do you, do you ever stay in touch with any of them? Really? I, I was connected to a lot of hypnotherapists, again, during COVID, me and you shared a a temporary interest in Clubhouse, and yep. <laughs> um, you know the the Facebook groups and Clubhouse was a was a good way. So I hosted a, a weekly room for hypnotherapists. So I knew the challenges that hypnotherapists were were facing. You had this weird collision of two dynamics. There was a, a mental health need during COVID because people were dealing with isolation and they were dealing with anxiety True. and uncertainty and unpredictability with their income streams and all True. this kind of stuff. But equally, they couldn't actually see anyone. So, you know, the main issue that other hypnotherapists were facing was what do they do for money? They couldn't really furlough themselves because they mainly they were, they were kind of self-employed. So a lot of the time they just had to kind of, uh, you know, survive. And, and, and that lack of appreciation of technology, I think certainly there were some hypnotherapists that made the migration to Zoom. So most of my, my kind of colleagues in the, in the realm of hypnosis 
they do the majority of their sessions like I do over Zoom or I was going to say Skype. Nobody uses Skype anymore. Um, <laughs> but but those that didn't just had to find alternative sources of income. And I think yeah. a lot of people kind of got through COVID in that way that yeah. if their primary income stream wasn't possible, find an alternative. Yeah. Interesting times, COVID. That's all I'm going to say. But that's a whole new ball game. Anyway, so yeah, it's interesting. So we're going to talk about financial freedom and financial wealth, money mindset, those types of things, which we've we've spoken a little bit about actually with some past guests as well. But I know that what's going to be interesting about our conversations is that you're looking at it from a hypnosis perspective and feel, you know, feel, feel free to fill in the gap here. But also I used to think, and I, I don't, maybe this is true to some of our audience members, is that hypnosis is seen as a bit of a woo-woo type of thing, right? Well, why would I go to a hypnotherapist to fix my money mindset, right? Why would I go to a freaking counselor or something like that? I mean, what's your, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think, I think it's an accurate representation. I think hypnotherapy is uh, never at the top of anyone's list to do anything. True. If someone wants to quit smoking, they don't see hypnotherapist first. If someone wants to <laughs> deal with a drug issue, if they're overweight. So a hypnotherapist is the, is the last on a very long list and basically, people will see a hypnotherapist if they've tried everything, they've got no options left, what do they have to lose? But the interesting thing is that there's power in having no options left, if that makes sense. True. So as a hypnotherapist, I, I, I leverage that and I say, right, okay, what does life look like if you never quit smoking? What does it look like if you never get your weight in check? What does it look like if you spend the rest of your life being terrified of spiders? And, and, and that emotional leverage is is quite useful to get them thinking about a an alternative timeline which is is normally necessary for for change so i think one of the key things and and it's all about competency it's like anything you've got incompetent and you've got competent you know professionals in an industry but a good hypnotherapist is only good not if they do great sessions but if they actually create changes in the life of the people that they're working with true and in most areas of life people already know logically what is the right thing to do. Almost every smoker knows that if they continue to smoke, they're probably going to live 10, 20 years less than someone that doesn't. Everyone that's overweight already knows that if they exercise more and eat, eat more salads, they're going to lose weight. They don't do it. So a hypnotherapist, a good hypnotherapist, actually is a catalyst for change, actual behavioral change. So that block or that thing that they know they should do, but they're not doing, they're actually able to do it. So I've worked with people that, Lifelong smokers, they quit smoking. Lifelong arachnophobes or fear of flying or fear of public speaking, they're then doing the thing they thought they couldn't do. People that have been struggling with their weight for decades, finally they get to lose the weight. So a good hypnotist is a, a stepping stone for change. They bring out the change within that individual. Where this links to money is quite important. So my background, probably similar to yours, I didn't grow up in a, in a wealthy family. I didn't have a lot of privilege. Um, so from that perspective, I had this desire, and I think a lot of desire sometimes comes from lack. So, you know, my teenage years, I didn't have very much. So it's kind of like you want the thing you don't have. Or for boys particularly, there's a lot of status linked with uh, material things, like what you wear and the bike you cycle on and right. all this kind of stuff. So because I didn't have those things, I really kind of desired those things. And it made me quite entrepreneurial. So as as a kind of teenager, I was doing like five paper rounds. I was not spending the money in the paper round. I'd go to a car boot sale, buy things, sell it for more. Bit of a wheeler dealer. And my first business, I was 15 years old, making little booklets on people didn't know anything about satellite TVs. So I 
gathered the information with satellite TV and I posted leaflets through every house that had a satellite dish that I could see. And I was quite entrepreneurial. And I kind of figured out that I was pretty good at making money because not that I was working harder than anyone else, but I figured out that I was willing to do things that other people wouldn't do. And, and that was a reflection of my belief systems. A lot of people have self-imposed belief systems. I became self-employed properly with, with staff and a, and a proper limited company at the age of 23, on paper at least, self-made millionaire at the age of 27. Uh, so from that perspective, I had people around me saying, how do I do that? How do I get that? You know, you've got some properties. How do I get the properties? And I would tell them, I would literally give them exactly what I'm doing. I say, all right, I look for properties below market value, you know, refinance as soon as you can, or I would invest in shares like this and nothing would happen. So it got me thinking, it's kind of like knowledge is not the answer. It's got to be some kind of a block. And, and the block is mainly based around the emotion of fear. So, you know, you could ask anyone that doesn't invest, why don't you invest? going to be two reasons can't afford to or what if i lose my money they're the two things that, are, that that tend to come up so the idea that you can't afford to invest in anything a lot of investments are fractional in nature so you could buy you know a small amount you could buy one share in a company you can you can invest 50 pound a month so if you don't do it at all it's definitely not because you can't afford to it has to then be based on your belief systems that create emotions that make it a deterrent for you so from my perspective, it was kind of like, well, I'm pretty good at hypnotizing people. I'm pretty good at changing belief systems. And, you know, a phobia is the most extreme form of fear. If people are having panic attacks at seeing a bird, you know, sounds funny. But if, if you have that, you can't go outside you, on, a, on a sunny day. You know, your life is, is imposed. So if I can eliminate the thoughts that lead to people having full-on panic attacks about animals, about fear of flying, about all these other things, maybe I could do it with how people are thinking about money. And what would happen if those beliefs are changed? People have different emotions, and then they're able to do the thing that they can't do without it. And, and my thoughts are, what's the key reason that people don't invest or, or build businesses or, or do these kind of things uh, is fear, but it's the fear that is inextricably connected to risk you take out risk you know then there is no fear so for example if, if if we had a time machine with the very knowledge that you have right now knowing what you knew about covid knowing what you knew about the rise of tesla and bitcoin and all this kind of stuff you go back 10 years or 15 years just with the knowledge you're not in, you know you don't have to be a financial trader you don't have to be a whiz on wall street but just with the knowledge you have right now if you went back in time 15 years and then followed the same timeline but with that additional knowledge you're a billionaire. Absolutely. You're a billionaire because you've got certainty. There is no risk when you buy Bitcoin at three pounds and it goes up to 60,000 or whatever it is. You know, buy Tesla stock when everyone's thinking, yeah, this is crazy. No one's going to be driving electric cars. And you're like, no, I think they will because you, you've got certainty in the outcome. You're going to get a huge return. You'd even take on leverage to amplify your returns. And then it's like Biff in Back to the Future 2. Like you've got Trump <laughs> Tower and you've got... Love like, that. Yeah, you've got billions because you've got certainty. And yet there are people that do very well in the world of money that clearly don't have a time machine. So therefore, if you don't need a time machine to get rich, but you do need to take risks, then it's the emotion connected to those risks that is the key distinction that can make the difference between people that can have financial security, comfort and, and freedom and those that will never have that because of the belief systems that are linked to that. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I guess we all have our 
you know, different cultures, different backgrounds, different belief systems, which then creates, I suppose, a subconscious reaction, right? Whether it be, and it could be our inner critic talking to us, well, why are you doing that type of thing, right? Could be that challenging thought process, couldn't it? It could be many different aspects. I suppose there's not kind of a one-size-fits-all approach, which is what I'm kind of trying to get at, yeah. really. So, so most people think, you know, it's logic and mathematics that makes someone a good investor. You know, it's kind of like analyze the numbers like Warren Buffett, you know, kind of, you know, find where the value is, look at, you know, yield curves and, you know, price earnings ratios and all this kind of stuff. The key thing for the average person, if you, if you don't aspire to be a billionaire and you just want to be reasonably good with money, then effectively it's the beliefs that cause fear and greed that you need to manage more than anything else. And if you can manage those fears and you can also manage that kind of element of greed where you know greed encourages people to make really bad decisions so if you can kind of taper the the greed and you can ride the waves of fear and if you can do that to the extent that use a warren buffett quote you 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 do you want to be greedy when people are fearful and fearful when people are greedy like if you can really harness that with enough knowledge as to what strategies actually work and what take you towards your own financial goals that's like a superpower it's, it's like a financial superpower and if you Ask the average person on the street, would you prefer, you know, 10 million or the ability, I don't know, to kind of levitate or something like that? People are choosing the money. So therefore, it is a superpower. And it's a superpower because it gives you the ability to do things that the average person can't do. You know, if there's, if there's a war zone suddenly, the person that's got the financial resources can simply live somewhere else in the world. If you can't, you can't. If, if someone's got a really serious illness and there's a six month waiting list for treatment, you've got financial resources, you can jump the queue. You know, so we're talking True. about life and death levels. That that's a superpower. And most people have certain belief systems that do one of two things, either that create fear, it's kind of like, oh, I'm gonna lose all my money, I can't trust anyone, it's all a scam, that kind of stuff. Or they're gonna have belief systems that are self-sabotaging at some level based on on kind of scarcity. So one of the belief systems that a lot of people have with money is that it's a zero-sum game belief system. If I win, then you lose. And most people are good people. They're nice people. So if you have the belief system that you almost treat the game of money like a game of poker, that if I've got more chips, then you've got less chips, and you're a good person, and you believe that in fairness, that belief system is going to impede your ability to have more without feeling like you're a bastard. True. Okay, so, so there's that. Or if you have a belief system, because there is enough examples of very rich people that have done very bad things. So it's kind of like, oh, okay, rich people are evil, or that biblical quote, which is unfinished, money's the root of all evil. The actual quote is the love of money is the root of all evil, but it gets distorted. But if you link money with evil, okay, and you're a good person, again, there's going to be certain things that if there's an opportunity to invest, you'd be like, either at an identity level, oh, someone like me doesn't do that. This is for the people that wear the pinstripe suits in, you know, in the city of like, oh, they do that kind of stuff. This isn't, this isn't for me. It could be an identity belief. It could be a scarcity belief. But these beliefs, they seem like they're insignificant things. But that has, if that shuts off a pathway and everything beyond that is, you know, could lead to financial freedom, you never get that financial freedom because you've blocked it off, you know, at the very root, if that makes sense. So what I feel I'm very good at is identifying those beliefs and more important as a hypnotist helping people to change those beliefs because there's an idea that it, it takes a lot to change a belief so when i'm working with clients one-on-one -on -one, i'll say look d 
did you, in fact, I'll ask you this question. How excited were you when you were four or five years old and you thought Santa was going to deliver presents on, on Christmas Day? Ecstatic. Ecstatic, right. Was that emotion of ecstasy, excitement, you know, genuine kind of you can't sleep at night because Santa's going to come? Was that real emotion? Of course. Okay. Was the belief that that real emotion was built on real? Yes. Was it? Was Santa real? No, Santa wasn't real. I thought it was real, though. Yeah. That's what a belief is, a sense of certainty. So you had a real emotion based on a false belief. Yeah. And let's say you got to seven, eight years old and you found out that Santa wasn't real. Okay. How difficult was it to get the excitement back? Well, it was eliminated, wasn't it? Yeah. There wasn't anything there. So therefore, evidence within our own lives that real emotions can come from fake beliefs. Okay. So if you believe certain things about money, and a lot of people, they can get angry about money or they can get anxious about money. And there's this causality response where it's like, well, because I feel this real emotion, the belief that it's based on must be true. That, that's a false equivalency. It's not necessarily true just because you've got a real emotion. Um, if you thought someone was trying to kill you, okay, you might feel anxious walking on your own down the street. Okay. If someone said, yeah, I was just pranking you, you know, there was no death threat, fear goes away. So you can have real fears, real emotions based on false inf information, false belief systems. But that means the opposite is also true. You change a belief system, you can have different emotions. And quite often, the key gateway for behavior for most people is emotion. Okay. So if you're excited about seeing a particular country, let's say, I know you recently went to Dubai. You were excited about Dubai or you were curious about Dubai. You had an emotion about Dubai that led you to make a decision, actions. You bought the tickets, you went to Dubai. Okay. If someone told you that, uh, and I know Dubai is very safe, so this is no slander on Dubai, but if someone told you that Dubai is the most dangerous city in the world and people get kidnapped there and you never see them again, that's false, clearly. But if you believed that to be true, and when you think about Dubai, you're like, well, that's not safe, then you don't then buy the tickets and true. go to that place. So this is, this is playing out in every life of every individual. And the key thing with beliefs is that most people don't know what they believe. They're just kind of like robots walking around the world, interacting. Zombies. Well, not, I mean, in a way, and it kind of makes sense. Like, why would people audit their own belief systems? Why would we think, oh, what, what do I really think about money? It's kind of like you just, we're too busy. We're living our life. So if you've got these beliefs about money or investing or wealth or setting up a business, I'll give you a real life example. I've been entrepreneurial my whole life since I was a teenager. But I remember walking down a beach one day with my dad. My dad is a career employee, went to school, got a job, whole narrative, get a safe, secure job, provide for your family. I remember walking down the street when I was walking down the beach when I was about 12 years old. And I was saying, what do you think about business? And the irony, he was doing an MBA at the time, <laughs> you know, master's in business and administration. And straight away, the first thing that came out of his, his lips was, uh, 95% of businesses fail in the first three years, 99% fail in the, in the first five years. Now, if that's your dominant thought of losing and failing, and, and depending on where you grew up, failure can be worse than losing money. True. Because then you've got shame, you've got embarrassment, you've got humiliation, you've got your own ego about how you feel about yourself. So this idea of failing or losing, and business is even more important because you generally have to put seed capital or you have to borrow money from friends and family. Now you've got even more pressure. But if your dominant belief is that it's like a lottery ticket, that you've got a 95% chance of losing it all, nobody buys that lottery ticket. 
So if your belief about business is that, even if you've got an amazing idea, even if you've got the right skill set, it's going to hold you back. You never set up that business. You become an employee. And I found that a lot of people have belief systems that are the polar opposite. So a lot of people would say employment is security. Okay. Well, actually, who makes the decisions as to whether or not you are made redundant or not? Generally, not the individual, not the employee. It's the it's the manager, it's the owner of that that particular business. We're seeing it in the tech sector. There are hundreds of thousands of layoffs right now, partly down to AI, partly down to you know the change in the in the sector. But if you're an employee at Facebook or you're an employee at Google, and you thought you had a safe, secure job, and now you don't have a job at all, was it that secure? So a lot of the time, the belief systems that are linked to an emotion that is positive, like security, isn't even true. So if you can feel secure on a belief that isn't true, you can definitely feel anxious on a belief that isn't true. And what hypnotic wealth is all about is looking at how do you change, how do you identify and change the belief systems? How do you make the game winnable? So I use this metaphor of experimentation. If I said, like, I love Monopoly, do you play Monopoly? Absolutely, I love it. Let's have a 10 grand game of Monopoly. Whoever wins, wins the 10 grand. Okay. Now, if you're really good at Monopoly and you understand the strategy and that kind of stuff, you might say, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it, yeah. Okay? But let's say you've never played Monopoly at all, and I've played it a lot. You still take that 10 grand bet? Probably not. It'd be crazy to, because part of how you learn to play Monopoly is by figuring out what properties to buy and what properties not and how to trade with other people. And, you know, better to have hotels on one set than small amounts of houses on lots. And when you get more than three houses, you get a disproportionate return than if you've got two. There's all these little things that you can only possibly pick up by playing the game. Business is like that. Investing is like that. You get good by making a few mistakes. But in the game of investing in business, if you start small and, and you lower your risk, you get the, the learning ability to kind of figure out how to play that game without costing too much other than time. So if you treat the game of money like a game, and it's kind of like, well, I'm not going to put everything in on, on, on kind of buying shares in Tesla or buying Ethereum or whatever. I'm just going to, I'm going to learn how to play the game. That experimental approach actually means that you build up your confidence to the point where you would bet 10 grand on, on one game. But on a game of 10 grand winner takes all, you can lose your original stake. So that's a gamble. Investing is like you buy a lottery ticket, but you keep your ticket forever until you choose to sell the ticket. The value of that ticket can go up, the value of the ticket can go down, but you keep the ticket unless the company goes bust. So I used to like gambling because I like the excitement of it and that kind of stuff. I much prefer investing. My definition of investing is that you hold on to the asset, whereas a gamble is that it was never your asset. You're better True. than an outcome, if that makes sense. True. There are similarities between gambling and investing in that both involve risk, but the risk attached to investing. What I look for in investing is exponential upside, limited downside, uh, that kind of geometric kind of returns that can kind of skyrocket. And when you do that, you don't have to get all your decisions right. If you can get like one in five of your decisions right, and it gives you a, a 10, 20 or 50 times return, that more than covers those things. And, and typically, this is more of a, a hedge fund kind of approach to investing. So all of these things are learnable but it's all linked to your belief systems. It's all linked to your emotions. It's all linked to your fears. And then it's a case of, well, how do you get there quicker? Well, generally, there are two ways of learning in life if you, if you really cluster them down in, in, into chunks. You can learn from your own experience, which most people would call trial and error, okay? 
it's a slow, expensive way of learning. The long way. It's the long way. Yep. And a lot of people, you know, if, if we had to learn to speak without anyone teaching us how to speak, we may never end up speaking. So you've got, you've got a framework. True. Generally, you learn to speak by hearing lots of other people speak. And then when you start talking, you get corrected when you make mistakes. Okay. So therefore, the way that we learn to read, the way that we learn to walk, is through role models and, and a feedback loop. So that's more of a quicker way. And the game of money is no different. It's kind of like there are certain principles that exist in money that if you just adopt what to believe and, and, and the strategies, but with enough ability to kind of do your due diligence and, and you know, learn from decisions, then you can accelerate your ability to get, you know, to learn anything, including learning how to be wealthy in a more efficient way. And that's really what hypnotic wealth is all about. There's there's billionaires where I've studied their belief systems and then condensed that down to, well, just knowing what Elon Musk thinks isn't enough. How do you believe what he believes? And how do you integrate that into your life? So that's what people could expect from the course is not just to know this stuff intellectually, but a qualified hypnotherapist that's worked with thousands of people having actual hypnosis sessions to alter how you think and, and create the possibility because wealth is never guaranteed, but you've got to be in it to win it. So. When I look at my own wealth strategy, I, I have the overall strategy of either building or buying assets that have one of two outcomes, ideally both. Either it generates cash flow on a regular basis, or it has capital appreciation. And if you can get an asset, like a rental property, the property tends to go up in value and you get, let's say, rent, well, then you've got a cash flow and you've got you know, capital appreciation and you've got the ability with property every few years to refinance, what most people don't understand is that you pay tax on income or profit, you don't pay tax on debt. So what's to stop you building up your asset column, taking out debt from your asset column to buy more assets, your asset column gets bigger and bigger and bigger, your net worth goes up. And, you know, it's a very winnable game if you understand the game. But my belief that I used to have about debt when I was 20, 21, is kind of like, oh, Debt's for idiots. I'm going to save up my money and just buy whatever I want to buy. It made me very financially responsible, but it also impedes time. So I'm in the first property that I, that I bought. We're, here we are in this, in this kind of office, this studio. That was £115,000 property. It's worth over half a million now. But at the time when I bought it, I bought it at an auction and I had to have 30% deposit. So I needed about 35 grand. I had 35 grand to do that. It's now worth half a million. If I had to save up 115 to buy it at auction and buy it in cash, then one, by the time I've got the 115, the property is no longer worth for sale at 115. True. And, and so I've, I've already missed the boat. And secondly, you know, I'm missing out on using other people's money to amplify my own return. But if I had the belief system that debt is dangerous, debt is, you know, you know, it's, you know when I pe tell people I've got a million pounds worth of debt, they say, how do I... How do I sleep at night? I'm like, like a baby because I've got way more than a million pounds worth of assets. And those assets are increasing in value and giving me a cash flow that covers the cost of my living. So it's like I sleep like a baby. When I think about people that their only source of income is their job and that they could lose their job just because something happens in the economy or, I don't know, the, the owner of the company gets arrested or fraud or something like that. I'm wondering, how do you sleep at night? That's true. But the belief systems are inextricably linked to the emotions. And hypnotic wealth is really designed to give people the knowledge, the strategies, but more importantly, 
a way of thinking that makes the game winnable for them. So I'm not reliant on property doing well. I'm not reliant on shares doing well. I'm not reliant on my own businesses doing well. I'm not reliant on crypto doing well. But if any one of those things does well, my wealth goes up. Love it. Some good stuff there. Now, I know we're coming towards the end of our conversation, but it's been a real eye-opener to talk about money in a free way, you know, because you've covered a lot of things in our brief conversation around it. And hopefully you guys that are listening in, uh, you know, because uh, I was going to say, Adam's just brought out his new course called Hypnotic Well. So make sure that you check out the link below. There'll be some, there'll be, uh, some more information about what Hypnotic Wealth is and some of the breakthroughs that you can achieve when you go through the course and that kind of stuff. Feel free to check it out because it's a brand new course that's come out, didn't it? Yeah, literally it's a few days old. And, and this, <clears throat> this is about 10 years in the making. Love it. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of Content, a lot of personal experience in there, not just of my own stuff, but you on the course, you'll see me actually working with about 10 or 11 different people that had all different kind of things. Like one person grew up in a household where their siblings would spend their money. So they, they were kind of trained to spend their money as soon as they had it or people that felt guilty about making money because, you know, so all these emotions, we're talking about real stuff with real people all condensed into this course. And there was a bonus connected to the course at this point in time. So I offer wealth coaching. So in addition to all of the hypnosis, like over 30 hours worth of content for the first people that buy the course, they would also get a 90 minute wealth coaching session with me. So we can then look at the strategy. We can look at the mindset. We can look at those blocks. So even if you don't continue to work with me, you know what it is that you can work on to, to change. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right, guys, listen, hope you've enjoyed today's episode on the Game Changers experience. And well, from me and Adam, thanks so much for being on the show today, Adam. It's really appreciate it. Thank you. And it's been a great show and hopefully you guys can uh, come back onto the show and I'll be less croaky, of course. Anyway, from me and Adam, thanks very much for listening in and we'll speak to you soon. Take care and have a good one. Thank Cheers. You. Bye.